Chapter 10 of Wired Love by Ella Cheever Thayer The Broken Circuit Reunited Mr. Stanwood sat down at the table where Natty was looking over Sin's album and seemed to have become very thoughtful. Sin, meanwhile, busied herself in dressing an ugly gash the ever-unfortunate Quimby had managed to inflict on his hand. Suddenly Natty was disturbed by Mr. Stanwood drumming with a pencil on the marble top of the table and glancing up casually, observed his eyes fixed upon her with a peculiar expression, and at the same moment her ear seemed to catch a familiar sound. With a slight start, she listened more attentively to his seemingly idle drumming. Yes, whether knowingly or by accident, he certainly was making dots and dashes, and what is more, was making ends. I will soon ascertain if he means it or not, thought Natty, and seizing a pair of scissors, the only adaptable instrument handy, she drummed out slowly an account of the imperfectness of her impromptu key, pretending all the while to be entirely absorbed in the album. Are you an operator? Mr. Stanwood, in his turn, seemingly deeply engaged in the contents of a book, immediately drummed in response. Yes. Natty felt the colour come into her face. Oh dear, she thought and Sin told him that ridiculous story. Every operator in town will know it now. Then, with the scissors, she asked, Why didn't you say so? Where is your office? I have none now, the pencil answered, while Sin, glancing across the room, wondered to see the two so studious, and unsuspiciously asked Quimby if he supposed they were practising for a drum corps. After a few meaningless dots, the pencil went on. A little girl at B.M was dreadfully sold one day. The album Natty held fell from her hands as she stared petrified at her vis-a-vis, -vis, who kept his eyes on his book with the most innocent expression imaginable, one that even a Chinaman could not have equalled. Where could he have heard those words, once so familiar? A moment's thought gave her the most probable key. You are in the main office of this city, and have heard me talking with C. She wrote, as fast as the scissors would let her. No, to the first of your surmise, came the pencil, and yes, to the last. What office were you in? the scissors asked. X.N., responded the pencil. What? With C, asked the scissors, and if ever there was a pair of excited scissors, these were the ones. Well, yes, replied the pencil, with provoking slowness. Don't you see the point? Can't you... See that you did not see the sea you thought you did see that day. Natty's breath came fast, and her hand trembled as she could not hold the scissors. With a crash they dropped on the table, making one loud, long dash. But the imperturbable pencil went on calmly. It was all a mistake. I am see. Disdaining scissors and pencil, Natty started up, exclaiming vehemently, What do you mean? It can't be possible. The consternation of Sin, who was just informing Quimby that his wound would do very well now, the horror of the patient, and the surprise of Joe Norton at this emphatic and unaccountable outburst from the hitherto so silent Natty, was indescribable. Good gracious, Nat, what in the world is the matter? cried Sin, starting up and bringing the bottle of liniment she held in violent contact with Quimby's head, a circumstance that even the victim did not notice. So absorbed was he in amazement. At Natty's exclamation, Mr. Stanwood threw aside his book 
pencil, and innocent countenance together, and regardless of any one but her, sprang to his feet, advanced with both hands extended, and shining eyes, saying, I mean just what I said. It is possible. Hardly knowing what she did, utterly confused and bewildered, Natty placed her hand in the two that clasped it, while Sin stared with distended eyes, Quimby with wide-open mouth, and Joe gave a long whistle. Sin was first to recover and began to scold. Well, she exclaimed, this is a pretty piece of business. Never yet played on any stage, I should think. Nat, will you or will somebody have the goodness to explain this sudden and extraordinary scene? I... I don't understand, Natty murmured faintly, and looking half frightened and half beseechingly at Mr. Stanwood, who in response smiled and said, with a firmer clasp of the hand he still held, I will explain in a very few moments that I am the real sea. What? screamed Sin. What? shouted Joe. What? absolutely yelled Quimby. There has been a mistake, Mr. Stanwood said, now looking at Sin. A mistake? she repeated excitedly. What do you mean? You see our sea of the wire? Nonsense! You are joking! Yes, he is joking, Quimby reiterated, but his teeth chattered as he spoke. He is a dreadful fellow to joke. Clem is. Clem! cried Sin and Natty in the same breath. Do you begin to believe me? said the gentleman who had caused all this disturbance, and looking at Natty, who now, becoming conscious that her hand was yet in his, withdrew it hastily with a deep blush. I don't know what to think, cried Sin. Do explain something quick, or I shall burst a blood vessel with impatience. I know I shall, exclaimed Joe. Mr. Stanwood complied by saying, The fact of the case is simply this, that red-haired young man so graphically described by you girls, that odious creature, was the operator I went to substitute for that day. Oh, said Natty, a light beginning to break upon her. But how? commenced Sin. I would tell you how, if you will be patient, Mr. Stanwood interrupted, smiling. His office, as you, looking at Natty, remember, had once been on our wire. He had heard N and I talking, and in fact had often annoyed us by breaking. So, as he was at the city, he took the opportunity to pass himself off for me, perhaps the sake for a joke, perhaps from more malicious motives. I recognize his description at once from your story today, and I remember, too, his telling me on his return that he knew the best joke of the season, a remark I did not notice, never supposing it concerned me. Yes, said Natty eagerly, and he was very particular to ask me not to mention his call on the wire. I do not suppose he imagined that we would eventually discover the fraud, however, and so we should, had not you, looking rather reproachfully at Natty, in your haste, to drop so undesirable an acquaintance, avoided the least hint of the true cause. How the dickens was I to know what was the matter? Puzzled my brains enough over it, I assure you. And that red-headed impostor has been chuckling in his sleeve ever since, I suppose, said Sin indignantly. Then seizing Mr. Stanwood by the arms, she cried in a transport of delight, And it really is true! You are our sea! What? Am I not yet believed? he questioned, laughing. What more shall I do to convince you of my identity? You accepted our red-headed friend readily enough. Oh, I believe you, cried Natty eagerly, then stopped and coloured, abashed at her own so plainly shown delight. But Mr. Stanwood looked at her with a gratified expression on his brown eyes. And you will not snub me any more, will you? he said pleadingly. 
because I never use bear's grease or musk, and my hair isn't red a bit. I will try and make amends, Natty answered shyly, adding, I ought to have known there was some mistake. I never could reconcile that creature and, and see. Then I may flatter myself that I am an improvement, asked Mr. Stanwood merrily, at which Natty murmured something about fishing for compliments, and Sin replied gaily, Yes, because you have curly hair. You remember what I said on the wire, via Nat. Could I forget, he replied gallantly. And it isn't a dream. You are sea, the real sea, replied Sin, pinching herself, and then seizing Natty, who, from the suddenness of it all, was yet in a semi-bewildered state. There was not a bit of unhappiness in it, though, waltzed ecstatically around the room, crying, Oh, I am so glad! I am so glad! At this point, Quimby, who, during the preceding explanation, had listened with a face illustrating every variety of consternation and dismay, attracted attention to himself by an audible groan, observing which he muttered something about his wound. The word had a double meaning for him then, poor fellow, and rising, came forward, took his friend by the shoulder and asked solemnly, Now, Clem, uh, I beg pardon, but is it, is this all true, and not one of your jokes, you know? Honestly, are you that, that sea? Here is a doubting Thomas for you, cried Clem gaily. But upon my word of honour, old boy, I truly and honestly am that sea, and I suppose you were the other visitor of no consequence who called with Miss Archer that day I was favoured by an introduction to her. How little I thought it then. How little I thought it, groaned Quimby as his hand fell dejectedly from Clem's shoulder. But uh, I am used to it, you know. So saying, he sank into a chair that he had brought about such a result as this, that he had resurrected the dreaded sea from the grave of musk and bear's grease, was too much. But now that all is explained, I am really not sorry for the mistake, Clem said, utterly unconscious of his friend's state of mind, for had it not been for that, I should never have learned, as I have today from you two ladies, what a very interesting and agreeable fellow I am and he bowed profoundly, with a twinkle of merriment in his eyes. Over the wire, Natty added pointedly. Oh, of course, over the wire, he said with another bow, but it shall be my endeavour to make good my reputation, minus the wire. You will have to walk very hard to place Mr. Stanwood where C was in our good graces, said Sin archly. Then suppose we drop the Mr. Stanwood and take up Clem, who already was somewhat advanced he said adroitly. Ah, Clem sounds more natural, doesn't it, Nat? questioned Sin, laughing. We knew Clem and C, but Mr. Stanwood is a stranger. Then let us drop him, by all means, and now say you are glad to see your old friend, said Clem, gaily. We are transported with delight at beholding our Clem, so lately given up as lost for ever, Sin replied with equal gaiety, and Clem, then looking at Natty, as if he expected her to say something also, she murmured, I am very glad to meet C, a remark that sounded cold beside that of enthusiastic sin. But in fact, Natty was so confused, so happy, and so strangely timid, that she longed to get away by herself, and think it all over, 
and quietly realised it, and besides, in her secret heart, Natty felt a growing conviction that sin used the plural pronoun we more than previous circumstances actually warranted. But Nat, said Sin, all unconscious of her friend's jealous criticism, you have not yet told me how you found him out. He telegraphed to me with a pencil on the table, and coolly informed me that he was C, Natty explained. And then you jumped up and threw us uninitiated ones into a great state of alarm, said Sin. And instead of practicing for a drum corps, I supposed, you were talking secretly, you sly creatures. Then turned to Clem, she asked, laughing, What did you think when Nat dropped you so suddenly and completely? What could I think except that it was a caprice of hers? He answered, laughing. At first I thought she was vexed at my having gone to be A, but she denied that, and finally I believe I became angry myself, and concluded to let her have her own way. Nevertheless, I could not resist calling to see her when I came to the city, and had I met with any encouragement I should probably have declared myself, but I was annihilated without ceremony. You would not have been, perhaps, had you been honest in the first place, instead of asking unnecessary questions about tariffs replied Natty. Yes, but you were to recognise me by intuition, you know. And I wanted to give you a chance, responded Clem quickly. Natty looked a trifle abashed. But I am quite sure I should have suspected it was you, had I not given you up as hopelessly red-headed, she persisted. Why, almost the very first question the creature asked me was, do you see that twinkle? So he heard and treasured that remark to some purpose, he said. Well, I will not dispute your intuition theory, since your last words assure me that I do not fall so far short of your imaginary sea as did my personator. I imagine your expression of countenance, on learning the intelligence, was hardly flattering to his vanity. Natty, who had coloured at the first of his remark, replied contemptuously, His self-conceit was too great to attribute my very uncordial reception to anything except, as he said, my bashfulness. I presume it has afforded him great enjoyment to think how successfully he stepped into your shoes, and what a joke he had played upon me. Upon us, you mean, corrected Clem. Certainly, upon us, Natty replied, with another flash of colour. I remember how indifferent he seemed when I hinted that now we had met, the chief pleasure of talking on the wire was gone, and I believe he didn't actually say in so many words that he was sea, but left me to understand it so and I am indebted to him for being such a lonesome, miserable fellow the latter part of my telegraphic career, said Clem, rather savagely. Natty murmured something about the time passing pleasanter when there was someone to talk with, and Sin asked curiously, Then you have left the dot and dash business, have you? Oh yes, it was merely temporary with me, Clem replied, then seating himself on the sofa beside Natty, and drawing up a chair for Sin between himself and Joe, Quimpy being at the other end of the room, a prey to his emotions, Clem continued. The truth of the matter is simply this. My father, with a pig-headedness worthy of Eugene Rayburn's M.R.F. in Our Mutual Friend, determined to make a doctor of me, not on account of any qualifications of mine, but for the simple reason that a doctor is a good thing to have in a family. But I, having an intense dislike to the smell of drugs, a repugnance to knowing anything more than absolutely necessary about the ills that flesh is heir to, and decided objections to having the sleep of my future life disturbed, declined, and at the same time expressed a desire to go into the store with him and become a merchant. 
upon which my most immediate ancestor waxed wroth, called me, in plain unvarnished words, a fool, and a pretty one I was to set myself up against his will, I who couldn't earn my salt without him to back me, being of a contrary opinion myself, I determined to test my abilities in the salt line. I began, looking at Natty merrily, by salting you, then explaining to Sin, Joe, and the silent Quimby, salt is a term operators use when one tries to send faster than the other can receive. I began my acquaintance with N by trying to salt her. To go on with my narrative, I had learned to telegraph at college, where the boys had private wires from room to room, and being acquainted with one of the managers in our city, succeeded in obtaining that very undesirable office down there at XN, where I remained, until my stern parent relented, concluded to hire a doctor instead of making one, and offered me the control of a branch of the firm here in your city. And here I am. And isn't it strange how you should have stumbled upon us, feast and all, said Sin, laughing. Natty was again disturbed by the plural pronoun, and also angry at herself for observing it. Isn't it? Clem answered merrily. What a lucky fellow I am! You see, not being at all acquainted in the city, I hunted up my old college friend Quimby, who asked me to call on some lady friends of his, mentioning no names, which of course I was only too glad to do. Imagine my surprise and delight when I discovered who those friends were. But I don't know as I should have dared to reveal myself, having been so often snubbed. With a roguish glance at Natty, if that story had been told and the mystery solved, Imagine my dismay, though, at being called an odious creature, and the surprise with which I listened to my own description. So earnest were you that I actually for a moment thought my hair must have turned red, and he ran his fingers through his curly locks with a rueful face. The girls laughed, and Sin exclaimed, What a pity it is you tore up that picture, Nat! Yes, acquiesced Natty, adding in explanation to Clem, You remember that pen-and-ink sketch? My first act of vengeance was to destroy it. Never mind, Joe will do another, will you not? asked Clem, turning to that gentleman, who, upon being thus appealed to, arose, laid down the nutcracker he held, and said with the utmost solemnity, Joe is ready to draw anything, but Joe is aghast and horrified at being mixed, even in the slightest degree, with anything so near approaching the romantic as the affair in question. What is use of a fellow shaving off his hair, I like to know, if such things as these will happen? It's no use fighting against nature, laughed Sin. Romance always has been since the world was, and always will be, I suppose. Your turn will come, Joe. I have no doubt we shall see you a long-haired, cadaverous, sentimental artist yet. Never, cried Joe heroically. But you must confess that this affair has taken undue advantage of a fellow. A wild romance is something entirely unexpected. And besides, viewed telegraphically, there is nothing at all romantic in the whole affair, said Natty, who, between her confusion at the turn the conversation had taken, and her alarm lest something should be said about that chubby Cupid, whom it will be remembered she had suppressed in her former description to see, was decidedly embarrassed. Before Joe could express his satisfaction at this statement, Clem exclaimed reproachfully, Oh, do not say that! Not even to spare our friend's feelings can I deny the romance of our acquaintance. I quite agree with you, said Sin. I really believe Nat is going over to Joe's ideas. Never mind, we must wait until your turn comes, you unsentimental Joe. Madam, cried Joe, 
When I find myself in a condition you describe, I will come and place a disposal of myself in your hands. And he made her a profound bow. There is many a true word spoken in jest, and none of the little party there assembled imagined how true indeed these words were to prove, as Sin gaily answered, It is a bargain, Joe, and I shall have no mercy on you, I can assure you. And we must not forget that we are indebted to Quimby for the unravelling of all this mystery, said Natty. She smiled at him where he sat, in his dismayed isolation as she spoke, and although it was the warmest smile she had ever yet bestowed upon him, he was rendered no happier by its warmth. Yes, how fortunate it was, Clem, that you looked him up, said Sin. Natty wondered that she could pronounce the familiar name so easily. She was quite sure she herself could not. Was it not? exclaimed Clem delightedly. And what is better than all, I am coming here to room with him. At this, Joe shook him cordially by the hand. Sin and Natty gave exclamations of pleasure, and Quimby suddenly started into life. Uh, I beg pardon, he said hastily. But uh, I really... I thought you said you had rather be farther downtown, you know. Yes, that was my first inclination, but as you urged me so much, and as I find so many old friends here, I have concluded to accept your offer, my boy, to consider the matter settled, replied Clem. And in his own entire satisfaction and unconsciousness, Clem did not observe but what Quimby looked as happy as might be expected at this intelligence. Oh, won't we have a jolly time, sang Sin and Clem, Natty and Joe, but not Quimby, took up the chorus. And obtuse as he was, Quimby could not but observe that Natty's eyes were shining in a way he had never seen them shine before, that the ever-coming and going flush on her cheeks was very becoming, and there was an expression in her face when she looked at Clem that face had never held, or him, nor could he fail to think at the romantic commencement of the acquaintance of these two, even the episode of the musk-scented impostor, all now enhanced the interest Natty had once felt for the invisible sea. Neither did he need a prophet to tell him that the two girls would sit up half the night, talking confidentially over this unexpected and happy denouement. Even that Natty's sleep would not be quite as sound as usual. Love, it is said, is blind. So to some things, perhaps, it is, but never to a rival. And when at last Clem tore himself away with the remark, What a fortunate day this has been, Quimby, my dear boy, how can I thank you? I shall take possession of my half of your apartment at once, to be sure no one shall again usurp my place. Until then, au revoir, and in parting, perceptibly held Natty's hand longer than was absolutely necessary, Quimby followed him with dejected mien, fully aware that of all the mistakes he had ever made, he committed the worst when he asked his old chum to call on some lady friends of his.